Hi, welcome to Talk About the Passion, episode 80. It's been a few months since the last episode. Apologies for the delay if you are indeed a follower here. Some months I am able to knock a bunch of these out and then others I just can't. But I plan to continue to release these as long as I have things to talk about and there are people who want to talk about them, so let's move on. If you like what you hear, please consider subscribing and liking where you're listening to podcasts. And if you feel like you have something to say, throw a review up. That stuff goes a long way in this world. I'm on social media on Facebook and Instagram. Just look up Talk About the Passion Podcast and you should find me there. Want to be on an episode or want to suggest a guest or a subject, please contact me there. My guest today is Eddie Sutton, who is best known for being the vocalist for the New York hardcore band Leeway. Leeway have been one of my favorite bands for a long time, so it was an honor to talk to someone whose music has been a, a part of my life for a good chunk of it. I'd like to thank our mutual friend, Mary Bryski, who put us together to talk, and I hope I didn't uh, butcher your last name. If you are a fan of Leeway, you probably have heard Eddie came down on some hard times and was diagnosed with cancer last year. He gives an update on that here in the discussion, and there's also a GoFundMe to help with some of the costs that come with something serious like this. The website for that is uh, GoFundMe.com, Eddie Leeway's Fight with Cancer. If you Google that together, it will bring you right there. Again, it's uh, GoFundMe.com, Eddie Leeway's Fight with Cancer. As it is with all of these, any amount helps. And, you know, sadly, as we grow older, we start to see friends, family members, or, you know, people whose art had an impact on us go through hard times. Eddie seems to have his head held high through hard times and still wants to create as long as he can, as he discusses in this conversation. I have a much longer introduction for the next couple of episodes, which were much shorter conversations. And since this is a long one, I'll stop here and get into this conversation. So let's go with episode 80, Take What is Bold with Eddie Sutton. Thanks for listening. You know, I, I originally planned on working with Skeeter, but then the pandemic started, and then I was diagnosed in February with uh, cancer. It took him a while to figure out exactly what I had, which is squamous carcinoma. Right. It's a type of cancer that spreads. Mm-hmm. Luckily, I only have the mass in my right lung, and, uh, you know, all lesions uh, that, that were in my brain have been removed through what's called gamma knife. It's radiation therapy through MRIs. They pinpoint where the lesion or lesions are and uh, they zap it directly. Like I had 11 originally, 
and I took the treatment and they all disappeared. This last time I only had one and we already did the gamma knife. So I'm hoping nothing will pop back right. after this one. Yeah. You know, that's awesome to hear, man. Yeah. I, you know, the, the mass is shrinking. I've been on chemo since I guess around late April. Um, I'm hoping to get off it, uh, soon enough and just go through the amino uh, therapy infusions. But, you know, we'll, we'll see. We're getting close, yeah, you know. Yeah. They've always said it's treatable, so I've always stayed focused. Yeah. I've, you know, it, it, certain moments were kind of hard for me, but uh, it's, it's okay. It's definitely okay, so I'm not afraid. I keep a good head about it. Yeah, you see him from from what I just see from the outside. The, the little I see you on like social media and that kind of thing. You, you seem to well. I kind of shut down from that. Yeah, I shut down from that for the summer. I took the time off. You know, um, energy can be an issue at times. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm I'm actually at the studio I work out of for the next few days because we're trying some pre-production and working on a recorded song. Uh, you know, at this point, I figure it's it's good to just release singles. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of easier to do. Yeah. You know, I mean, I've had seven songs, you know, submitted to me, and, and I intend to do more. But, you know, one at a time is a good pace. Yeah, yeah. At yeah. this point, you know, it's, it's a different industry too now. I know, right? Cut a single and do a, a bit of a video for it, and uh, you know, see where it takes you. I know it's the, the, the days of you know, people wanting to hear. Well, people, I guess, want to hear full records, but you know, the, the days of that. Hey, you know, if on. if I could get the budgets I was getting back in the day, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. that would equate into today's money. Yeah, I know. You right? know, I would definitely be all for that. You know, but. You know, this is the best way to do it financially and with my current time, you know, so at least I'm blessed to still be able to be doing it yeah, at this age. And it's it's good, man. I, I, the, the single you put out, the Amya Pusher uh, message to a man child is uh, it's great stuff, man. The, the lyrics are really cool. And, well, I uh, appreciate it. I didn't intend yeah. to write two songs that had uh, either the, the, the topic of drugs or mental health. Right as well as uh you know like with message in a man child that's me reaching out to an old friend who committed a hit and run death of somebody in the carolinas and came up north and uh you know i already told him i was in a different place in my life and you know i wasn't really interested in going back to the past with some people you know what I mean? Because I've had, I had some very dark experiences with yeah. this guy yeah, that I don't want to go back to. You know what I mean? I'm not I'm not the addict I was 30 years ago. Exactly. You're a different. You guy know what now. I mean? Yeah. And, you know, we grew up together the whole nine yards. Yeah. And, um, you know, what he wound up doing was, uh, you know, involving people that were close to me and their children to hide out and you know that was that was my way of basically giving him his hardcore you know fame that i guess he always wanted yeah yeah 
you know, because he kind of surfaced after being in, out of it for so long on Facebook. And I wasn't even on Facebook much anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I wasn't answering messages. I was reading comments, you know, but I answered the email when it came to me the, the way I thought was best. And, um, you know, there's a lot of old timers because their glory days are over, yeah. you know, um, and and they want to reclaim their position. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you know, we're talking about generations that have passed in Harker. You know, nobody knows or gives a fuck about somebody from the past that's not relevant. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. You know, let alone the 12 bands you were in that you got kicked out of all of them. Uh, I know, right? You know what I mean? So it's like, and and plus, you're, you're a middle-aged man in your late 40s. You know, like trying to get tough with kids. Yeah, that's that's too bad, man. And, the, and it's and it's true. Those that you know, those scummy people sort of rise back up and come try to get back into your life, and uh, you just you don't have time for that. And but I think you handled that well. Like you know, the song is uh, it was definitely you know I, I was sort of wondering you know what what it was about, but you could you could kind of feel what was going on through through the lyrics, you know. Yeah, well, I've always been lucky to be able to emote uh, the story I'm trying to tell. Yeah. And and that's how I kind of, uh, you know, confront my music is with a story-based thing. You know, that way it's tangible and I always have a passion and emotion for it, you know, when I get the chance to perform it and what have you, you know, uh, you know, there's a lot of guys, you know, after a discography of four albums, won't play songs from their first record and will just play the, the newest stuff. You know what I mean? Uh, for me, it's a little different because they are stories and, you know, uh, it's interesting at the same time. But, you know, just because I write these stories doesn't mean you know me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah, it's nice to to sort of still keep a little mystery, you know, you don't want to yeah. put everything out there on the table. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. You know, like over the last 10 years, you know, we're finally getting documentaries on music scenes that we grew up being a part of, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, uh, you're from Boston originally. Yeah. 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 All right. So you, you know about the, the straight edge scene that kind oh, yeah. of dominated up there. Yeah. Uh, but then there's LA, there's DC, you know what I mean? A lot of great Midwest bands, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, a lot of these people are, are getting blessed with some sort of documentation film, uh, you know, that recognizes what you did as a history. And, you know, it's a beautiful thing to know that you were part of that. You know, it, it kind of makes you feel like you did something with your life, even though, you know, you, you might not have done anything else in the regular world and lived a long, normal life or right. a crazy life. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And it's and this stuff's not going to get covered by Rolling Stone or, or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but it's, you know, if walking down the street and you see, you know, Eddie Sutton from Leeway is going to be just as important to me in music in my history as, you know, Robert Plant would to be to someone else, you know, and 
Well, it is the modern day classic rock for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you know what I mean. But but yes, it was easier for bands to put records out. It's not like you had one record in front of you of a particular genre and you bought it. Not dissing those bands because they're great bands from from the seventies and stuff. But it was much harder for you to get a release than it was later on for so many of these bands. You know, you may not have had good production or not, but, you know, you still got something pressed and pushed out there. And surprisingly, you know, a lot of these records have eclipsed six figures over the decades. It's crazy, You know, yeah. You know, I'm hoping at some point uh, Leeway could get the rights back for the first two records. It's something we're pursuing as a group, even though, you know, we all don't necessarily socialize anymore yeah you know the the main three which is me aj and mikey have signed on to try to pursue this uh it's going to take at least three years it's not something that happens right away yeah it's fucked man profile records it's screwed you know well it's a label um you know profile at least gave us a budget to go and record two records that it's you know, considered timeless for this music, you know, and that that's a beautiful thing to have been a part of. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so they gave us the outlet and they gave us the resources to do it. Yeah. Whatever they did afterwards is a record label being a record label. Yeah. Yeah. At this point, I understand that a little bit better, you know, the same thing with Chris Williamson, as much as, you know, he managed the money and there was never accounting he got us on the quickness tour. We went to California and back. He went out of pocket to, to help facilitate that tour too. So, you know, he was looking for bigger and grander things, just like, uh, you know, the record labels were hoping, you know, it's, it was kind of like al dente pasta. You know, they took all the bands and yeah. basically threw a noodle on the wall. And if it stuck, they yeah, worked with it. That was the one. Yeah. If not, you know, it, you know, you got to wait for it to cook a little longer. Yeah. It's, you know. So you came up in the in the New York, in the hard, how, how early were you going to hardcore shows? And punk? I first started going to shows in 81. Okay. So and, you saw everyone pretty much. Yeah. And then by 82, I was definitely breaking night and going to shows and staying out all night at yeah. 17. Yeah. You know. And do you, do you remember the very first show that you saw? It was... uh kind of forget most of the bands but it was a two plus two show mm-hmm. off of houston and second street it was like a replacement i think for two foot plus two or some shit we crowd played and a lot of the people that were tangible and part of that scene were there too i just i, I really can't remember yeah, yeah. many of the bands other than cause for alarm i think yeah yeah Kraut was the first you know? band I saw actually up in Boston in '84. Kraut okay. and uh, Channel Three. Yeah, Kraut and Channel Three were very tight together. Yeah. I yeah. I lived with Doug from Kraut from oh, like '85 okay. till '87. You know what I mean? So, uh, and I was at all those Channel Three CB shows when they came into town. You know, I watched their transition because by then, by '87, I was flying out to California. Uh, to date somebody at the time and uh, the lady friends that I met through Doug the 
famous Bear Sisters, you know, they, they would take me to the Hollywood bars and, you know, also socialize with guys like that. You know what I mean? Like from that whole punk period that turned into hardcore because a lot of them were punk bands, you know, take TSOL, for example, another band that kind of went the glam route. Yeah, yeah, later on. You know, I never really met Jack Christian, but I met, you know, some of the other guys. But, you know, the crowd guys, when they went to California, they met Grisham and, and you know, all these people. Plus, at that time, you know, uh, Steve Jones would come up and do songs with them. You know, uh, Steve Jones and, and Doug were very tight for a long period of time, you know, in those early 80s. Yeah. Before hardcore, though, were you, because you're obviously, your, your singing voice is definitely influenced from stuff beyond punk and hardcore especially at that time because people were mostly screaming and yelling so no still the same it's still the same but you know that's that's what they expect from it you know uh for me um in the beginning i don't know if i was gonna go there but you know the more i did it uh the more i was finding my individuality and that's that's what I always thought of as hardcore, even if I dressed up like a b-boy yeah. circa 1983. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, I had boots, you know, a high cuff sneak, uh, jeans and a band shirt on and short hair. It was supposed to be about individuality. So, I, I you know, unlike uh, the mindset of an MC level, I was trying to have my own style. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and like, I'm one of the few guys that actually multi-tracked vocals to try to harmonize and do things like that on yeah. songs. Yeah. You know, I really took to the recording seriously and tried to even, you know, orchestrate my voice, if you will, to help with a song. But uh, the singing comes from the 70s, too, growing up and trying to sing to all those songs and then all the hard rock bands, too, not just R&B. Um, you know, so I guess I, I got that from my mom. I was able to carry a tune on some stuff, but when I, uh, started doing vocals and building up to having, uh, a voice, uh, you know, it, it took a little time. Yeah. I was also born partially deaf. So, you know, oh. sometimes, you know, my notes uh, aren't as perfect as they can be. I definitely need an engineer that could understand pitch to help me at times, you know, but uh, because I was given recording budgets for my first two records to work with real engineers in a, in a seriously expensive studio for what it was at the time, it which and it was analog, was this, you know, Pro Tools thing that simplified everything uh you know I, I i think i learned a lot from being in the moment you know i'm not a technical guy you know i don't record with an instrument right um but i've learned to use my voice as an instrument doing what i do and yes you know i made sure i had my own style you know something that you know would be difficult to repeat even if you do have the talent, you know, I'm not going to 
you know, start ragging on people, but there's vocalists in hardcore that have been going to vocal coaches for fucking 30 plus years. Yeah. And they still aren't putting a melody. Right. You know, and they're just riding on the hooks from their first records instead of trying to do anything new. Yeah, I know. You know, and... You know, uh, for me, I, I don't think that's really being true to it. All right. It'll yeah. bring kids in the doors. You could play them the place same set year after year after year. But, you know, they deserve something new. Why don't you put your balls on the table and take a challenge also? Yeah, I know, right? Challenge the audience. You, know, and... you should be able to write either the same stuff that you wrote back in the day. Yeah, it's you know because it, it, every band had a formula for that thing, or you could try to be expansive and do something fresh and new, and try to blow some heads off. You know, have a great hook, have a great melody. You know what I mean, and 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 bring it. Yeah, I mean, you, like Leeway had a a hip hop influence, but it wasn't like an obvious influence. It was like a swagger and like a swing to the music. It wasn't like. We called it a groove. Yeah. Yeah. We we called it a groove. But, you know, I also got the wigger tag (laughs) and stuff like that. Right. And, you know, I guess it's normal, you know, but I wasn't trying to do hip hop. I wasn't trying to be on your MTV raps. I was in an underground band that was trying to help build the sound of this music scene because, you know, musicianship became much more serious as we came onto the scene, you know what I mean? We progressed very quickly from 84, barely knowing our instruments to recording Born to Expire three years later and having a record deal with all the right musicians around us to, to kill on this record and have hardcore as an attitude because, you know, Lee was very much also a metal band. Yeah in its sound but hardcore was a passion and energy it didn't necessarily mean you know you had to look like the you know the the circle jerks character oh, right right or, or be like a, a a surf rat like jfa or dread out like the bad brains right. Yeah, you know what I mean? Their own thing. And that's that's when bands stuck out when you you know when they were doing their own. And we weren't the only band that was looking into metal to improve our sound, right? As well as you know another challenge to to build on our musicianship. You know, it it was just a national prog- natural progression, simply because you know a lot of metal was pretty hard. Yeah. Aside yeah. from like some of the silly images that were out there right do you know what i mean yeah and that's what that's what was cool because we you know we had sort of like the 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 more it was it was nice to have people i could relate to a little more you know truly truly and and you know and people were doing what they wanted to do and uh, you know what's better than that yeah when you what's better than that yeah when you so when you first get that record in your hand, born to expire, we we how, how did how did that make you feel? Um, very tripped out. Yeah, that finally happened. You know, at the time, it broke records for most sales in a week. Bleaker Bob's, 
you know, things like that. We were hitting milestones. <laughs> but it was trippy. <clears throat> you know, I grew up as an insecure kid with self-esteem issues, but, you know, I put on a good, you know, f- face and I went off and did my thing live, you know, um, but at the same time, like I, you know, I, I couldn't believe that there was a opportunity and chance for, for, for any relative recognition, if you want to call that success in the music business, you know, and, uh, you know, during that time, I was introduced into heroin, but I didn't start fucking with opiates and getting caught up until after 89. Okay. In 89, you, know? you did the uh, long tour, right, with uh, Bad Brains? Yeah, it, it all it all happened after I came back. Yeah. Um, there was, I guess, disillusion and frustration as to, you know, like, how come we're not on 120 minutes? How come... You know, Profile didn't really know how to distribute and promote us. And by the time Born to Expire was released, uh, Chris Williamson's Rock Hotel contract expired with Profile, and they never picked it up again. Uh-huh. So, you know, there there was already these conflicts on the business side of things that that really weren't getting done. And, you know... Um, I guess personally, because I did have faith in my talents and everything else, I was seeing other bands getting attention on MTV. And then I was just wondering, like, why can't we, why can't these other bands that are around us uh, get the same love? You know what I mean? Because a lot of us are, are capable of doing it. But by also 89, I believe um, there wasn't so much of as, as a real scene the unified groups, you know, broke off yeah, into cl- clicks yeah, and yeah. things like that, yeah. you know, and there wasn't the supporting of each other as right. once used to be. Yeah. But that so, must have been cool, though, for you to, to tour with the, a band like the Bad Marines, who I imagine you, you know. I played over a hundred shows with them, you know, of course, the majority of them with HR. Right, right. You know, but I did shows with Chuck Mosley. Yeah. I did a, I think at least one, if not two, European tours with Israel. You know what I mean? So, uh, Leeway played well over 100 shows with the Bad Brains. Um, they were like uncles to us. They they really looked out for us in a lot of ways, you know, um, and, and, you know, learned so much with them. You know, there was a break between the grueling 12 weeks we did nationally with them. And my guys went home for a week. I stayed. I stayed on tour. You know what I mean. Like right. I, I, I was blessed and invited onto the Bad Brains tour, uh, and and their bus, and and got to travel with them, and learned a lot from like Daryl and Doc. You know, Earl. I, you know, would see even more when we did Europe because he spent a lot of time settled in Europe as well. You know. One time, uh, you know, Earl came to us and said he wanted to manage us, but nothing ever really transpired of it, you know. And this is more towards, you know, the auto crash release and open mouth kiss at this point. But, you know, the relationship and working together went throughout 
you know, that 89 tour, even before then, we did shows with the Bedbrings as early as 86 and 87. Um, so when Europe came, like we were still with them in 93, 94. Yeah. Oh, okay. And so you were saying, so watching other bands, you know, make it onto MTV and that kind of thing, was that giving you personally like anger and sort of resentment towards other bands? Well, it wasn't bands from New York. Right. I'm, I'm talking about, I'm just talking about like independent bands from wherever. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you know, like if, if any other band in New York got to break through, you know, it would only be good for the rest of us. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. You know, that's usually how that works. You know, how, like you know, New York out. hardcore. It, yeah, it didn't become the next grunge. Yeah, yeah. You know, and you know, I guess uh, New York hardcore as a whole would never go into a true alternative level uh, thing because it's a little too real. It's a little too grimy. And it's maintained. The- the longest i mean you know hardcore is obviously still alive and well everywhere but i think uh new york hardcore has sort of stood the tallest through, throughout well through the years i think you know? a lot of bands can definitely learn from uh bands in new york yeah you know and not just what to do but what not to do yeah you know <laughs> yeah yeah of course um and uh you know, there's some great bands out there like Turnstile. They're not trying to turn out the same thing. They, they they're expansive, you know. And um, you know, uh, I've gotten to meet the guys. You know, I think they're a great band as an example of something from within the past ten years. Back that, after you know, a decade after before that would be Agents of Man. Oh, okay. Uh, uh, again, a lot of great musicians from that band that I got to work with when I did a project called Truth and Rights. We cut a, cut a single and a full-length CD, which we plan to reissue because not many copies were ever, you know, sold or distributed. So we're thinking of reissuing that because it's a very solid, you know, 10-song release. Yeah. And what kind of stuff was that that you guys were doing? Uh, you know, we... Either like uh, beat down hardcore, yeah, type li- riffs, as well as other melodic stuff, but well recorded. Nice. And uh, you know, I was very proud of the record. It just never got really uh, distributed properly. In fact, one of the guys that I did that re- music with, he's submitted songs to me. You know what I mean? And one of the songs uh, talking about Ray Fonseca. Uh, you know, the first song is actually one of his that I'm trying to tackle right now, like while I'm up here. Now, when you say uh, pe- submitting songs, is this uh, people give you music and then you'll write lyrics around it? Is that how? You... As of right now, yeah. it's it, it's guys I've worked with before. Right. And one newer person, you know, who had riffs and, you know, were, were looking for somebody to collaborate with. And because I've worked with Dan Nastasi and Ray before, you know, I'm definitely open to see what they have. And they've brought me some riffs and they're, they're doing small recordings on it so I could lay some vocals on it. 
and uh, you know, just go through the process and try to cut some singles for the new year. Yeah. Nice. You know, it, it, you know, I'm in a comfortable position for that. Obviously, you know, I call leeway, leeway NYC now, since right. I'm the only guy left. Right. And, you know, I, I play with musicians that I'm close to and, uh, you know, it is what it is. It's a tribute band. I, you know, it, I, I'm not trying to bullshit on it, but I don't want people assuming it's the original band and being disappointed right, either. Right. You know what I mean? So if I call it Leeway NYC, you know what it is. Exactly. With the pandemic and everything, it's not like uh, much has happened. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm hoping that we all can start doing more stuff again. I know, right? My health is the issue, but I could definitely control the environment of recording and cut some singles and still try to do something with the time I may have left. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have to be practical about that. You know? Uh, and you're good singing? Yeah. I mean, I yeah. could still do stuff. You know, I'm not, I'm not worried about that. And like I said, with recording you could kind of control the environment much easier than you could trying to go off live because, you know, there's the running around and trying to vocalize, you know, uh, I've been offered shows for the end of the year, but I want to make sure that I'm capable of still being a hundred percent in that, you know, in that element. Yeah. I don't want to look weak up there. So I want to make sure so, you know, recording is the right thing to do because obviously you don't want to really try to do shows without something to promote. So, right, right. You yeah, know, I'm, I'm to dying to make it happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm dying to make it happen. Yeah. And you've, and not, you've always been Not great. literally figurative. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> um, with, with Leeway, too. So, you know, those first two records were, were classics. And then the, the second two... I you know I love them. I think fans love both of them, but th those never uh, hit as well. It seems they they didn't. Uh, why, why do you think that is? Just promotion or? I don't know. Well, yeah. well, obviously we don't have the rights to it. Yeah. Uh, Sony has the rights to this shit. You know, there's a holding on to it like uh, some fucking mogul hoards property for value. You know what I mean? That's what I think of like publishing and rights. It's like legal, it's like musical real estate. Um, so they found out AJ did a deal with this bootlegger out of Belgium, and they were on Spotify and everything else. But then Sony found out and shut it all down. So you know, now nobody could hear this shit the way it should be properly streamed. Or maybe it just came back recently, I heard, and Sony's finally trying to make a dollar with it. Right. You know, um, we can only hope, like, within three years and our personal longevity that we get to see the rights back in our hands. Yeah. And then, you know do this again properly yeah. you know but you know anybody that tells you from the 80s that they knew they were going to be where they are today with whatever success right. or cult following they have is full of shit oh yeah of 
course. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because, you know, we were just cutting records. Did we think that they would withstand the test of time 40 years later, like the music we grew up and idolized? You know, like whether it's a, you know, um, even though those bands sold more records and toured and played bigger places, you know, at least for our level, this this is successful underground. Oh, yeah. The fact yeah. that you could have a song that's been around for 30 plus years and you could actually go out and do a show and have kids younger than your song show up. You know, that that shows that you have some relevance. Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. that people, you know, who who come into hardcore now at a younger age and get to rage with younger bands and appreciate the older bands, you know what I mean, is is a beautiful thing. It, it's not something for everybody, but a lot of people get to learn about themselves and life through the music, the lyrics that are thought provoking or, or stories that you can learn from, you know, that you're not hearing from fucking pop right now. I mean, I was always into top 40 until like the millennium, you know what I mean? Like there was always something out there, but by around 95, something went wrong. Yeah. And yeah. I just lost interest in pretty much everything that was coming out. Yeah. It just doesn't have something for me to grab onto. So, you know, I guess it's just being an old fogey. <laughs> I resort back to older stuff. It is nice to see younger people getting into uh, into stuff now. You know, like you were saying, like when Lee Wave would play, like there's a video of uh, you guys playing. I think it's from This Is Hardcore in maybe 2016 or 2017. And it's About just, that. Yeah, it's, it's great. Just seeing all the young people, like, you know, this is now important to them, you know, a whole new generation of uh, young kids, you know, getting to see that for the first time. is, is Well, is, it, it's, it's kind of like you need an education in hardcore, like, yeah. and, and because it's been going on for so long, you know, a lot of the young kids, you know, that go straight to, like, the youth, the straight-edge type sounding bands, the ones of today. Yeah. And, and listen to the stuff in the back where it came from originally, you know, and, uh, you know, that's, that's the cool thing about it. There is this older history, you know, when I was growing up, if a band was 30 years old, you know, you were listening to them on the oldies stage because right. it was fucking doo-wop. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and ironically we're in that position, but in a more modern day obviously leeway wasn't a doo-wop band so you're not you know but you know it's it, the, the distance between men if you can compare to where music was you know 30 years as i was starting leeway versus you know today and 30 years back it's it's taught to comprehend that it's very much similar even though sounds have grown and branched right, out right. yeah difference different so much sound. You know, yeah, I guess like, you know, I kind of relate to being an underground classic rock, you know, singer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah, sometimes I think of these things and, you know, I kind of got to chuckle at it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I really do. Be like, you know, if, if I was 30 years 
my music was 30 years old when I when I was a kid. You know, I wouldn't be really listening to it because yeah. I'm not interested in Dion and the Belmonts. <laughs> I wrote know, great right? songs, don't right, you know? Right. Yeah. But I'm not going to go rock out to that. That's not going to make me flip out in my bedroom. Right, right. I want to sing to the mirror. Yeah. You know what I mean? And Hawkwood just has a whole other rage and energy. Yeah. That helps a lot of kids with their frustrations in life. And it gives you something to do, you know, because th- this original scene that I started going to shows to was based through people that were misfits and outcasts. You know what I mean? It wasn't really a place for them in society. And a lot of these individuals were very scary. You know, like you would look at them and you'd wonder why they're not in jail or prison. Right. You know, not that, you know, they did something. Right, I'm right, just right. saying, like, yeah, yeah. That you vibe. know, yeah. that whole, you know, the first time you go to a show, because you've heard all these stories and you're a kid, you know, it, it's wild. It's exciting, man. Yeah. You know, it, it could intimidate you at times. Yeah. Quite literally. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you never knew it was going to happen. You know, something and terrible could happen all of a sudden. You, know. you couldn't help wanting to get close to that fire. Not just the energy. And, you know, the bands were providing this soundtrack to a lot of the energy. Yeah. Yeah. You know? It was addictive, you know? Everybody would go outside between bands. Uh, drum and beef could pop off during that time. And you go back inside and, you know, you got some guys who want to be Lord of the Dance and a lot of other people are watching it, singing along and getting too close to that fire, sometimes getting burned, you know, and and it, it was a, a very frenzied en- energy that, you know, you couldn't get going to like the fucking Nassau Coliseum to go right. see Metallica. Yeah. Yeah, and it's hard to... You know, even though you had a mosh pit and everything right. like that... It's not the same. I would love to see them, you know, have to endure some of the original dances... Yeah, like a... ...in New York that went show. to A7 yeah. shows right. and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's a different... Uh, you know, it's a cliche it had to be there, but it really is... Uh, I think when you know you're uh, a lifer in hardcore, you know, you know, you, you recognize stuff like that, the, the danger and just how different it is than... The, the mainstream world of music. Yeah, you, you have crews nowadays, but a lot of the crews that were wild, grown up. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. It, but, That's... you know, the element's still there. Things can happen. You know, people that are racist and Nazis are generally not invited yeah. to a lot of these shows. Yeah. Because they'll get swarmed. It just goes to show you that, you know, there is a belief system. It's not no holds barred right you know there were a lot of rules in the beginning like yeah. you couldn't stage dive feet first with boots right right you, you'd get in trouble oh, yeah, you know what yeah, i mean yeah now you see people running over people's uh, heads don't and talk sh- shit unless you're ready to take a smack you know what i mean for talking shit you know there was a lot of different things that you had to learn in order to not be that guy who got his ass handed to him and you know i've seen a lot of people come and go 
because, you know, they did something wrong and it was extremely humiliating and they never tried to get their rep back or anything like that. They just put their tail between their legs and mm-hmm. gave up. Yeah. Did you, you, you know, know, when you toured around uh, Europe, uh, <laughs> what was the, the scene like in, you know, in different cities and countries was how it must have been completely different. Uh, some countries don't dance. Yeah. You know, they tend to just watch you. Uh, at least that's my experience for my band, but that's okay. You're supposed to perform. You know what I mean? I, I go with the energy of the room. Like if I'm playing to a small crowd, I'm still going to give them the best energy I have at that moment of the day and tell my stories and do my songs, but I'm not going to act like I'm playing to a packed theater. You know what I mean? Because that's just not what it is. You know, some bands, they've been doing it so long. I've taken gaps and breaks between it. So, uh, you know, I don't, I'm always rebuilding a following because I dip out and come back and all that shit. Um, in the early nineties, the whole scene came out to see anybody from America. Uh, especially New York bands. So um, so it didn't necessarily mean that you were a great band in the beginning, but the, you know, a lot of bands stayed the course and established a following no matter how talented they were. You know what I mean? Um, but it's changed a lot since then. Uh, today, they're more selective. S- some countries dance more than others. I enjoyed the last tour I did, which was in 19, in the beginning of the summer, because it wasn't, you know, the usual dates that I was having in a lot of countries. I broke into Poland for the first time. Oh, nice. Three wonderful shows out there. Uh, I went up towards Russia, but in one of the states that is no longer a part of Russia. I oh, can't wow. remember what it is offhand. Yeah. Uh, but like Latvia, maybe Latvia, I'd really, uh, I feel bad, but I can't remember. But then I got to Hungary for the first time, played Budapest, you know, um, and hitting those areas and seeing the energy, the vibe, the people that came out was, was a beautiful blessing. You know, I'm very humbled by all of this, that I, I could be somebody in my mid fifties and that I can still draw an audience even though I haven't done much of anything, you know, compared to other bands putting releases and having a label and management behind them and everything right. else. But it's a, you know what I mean? But, you know, Leeway is definitely one of the, uh, the more, you know, you're, you're very humble, but definitely I'll tell you one of the more important, just big bands in, in this in hardcore, you know, in the hardcore metal scene and, People are going to respect that for as long as... Uh... Yeah, I, I feel very lucky to be a part of that. I couldn't do it myself. Yeah, we were a yeah. team. Yeah, of course. You know, we may have differences now and things like that. And I'm only tight with, you know, maybe one guy that I still do a show once in a while with, which is Michael Gibbons. Um, you know, he he is my top supporter out of all the guys from those first two records. 
but you know, despite not having relationships really with the others, you know, I I can't forget where we came from. Yeah, and yeah. All of us pushed each other to do something that that can be aspiring thirty years later. Like that's 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 a wonderful thing. Like next year will be the thirtieth anniversary of the Kingpin video. I don't. I think it was ninety two. Yeah. But you know, it's it's relatively thirty years now. Yeah. You know. Um, so you know, you look at that when a lot of what is supposed to be modern music, you know, can't do that today. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have the longevity. You know. So. Uh, it's it's a gift and i think a lot of people take it for granted and you know they're still getting an audience and everything like that but then there's others that take it for granted or have done things and they're no longer allowed to come around and be a band you know again i'm not gonna this time i'm not gonna name anybody because i don't want to give them any relevancy you know, they just troll online, talk shit about everybody doing something. Yeah, of course. You that's, know. That's the thing nowadays, you know. Talk about how bands are doing hardcore for money. And, you know, the, that person is a hypocrite because they're like the biggest money grip going. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they're just jealous that they can't have the freedom to go out and do their own shows. And, you know, because... Yeah you know they, they've got beat on site fucking tags or you know uh you know if not also some other bands will just have bad news lingering around them because a singer or somebody did something fucked up to somebody you know with the me too movement you know a lot of people have been outed you know uh you know, th there's predators, you know, after people, male and female, for whatever reason in music. But, you know, that's in hip hop, too, you know, so. It's definitely you know, come it's just, out in, in this in hardcore in the last few years. You're starting to hear more of those stories, you know. Well, and it's only fair. I mean, you know, it's it, it's the right it's the right thing to do. There's a lot of people that take advantage of people simply because of their prestige, power, position, and it's fucking wrong. You know what I mean? You know, it's it's, it's just plain wrong. Yeah. You know, I, I've always been a monogamous person, so it hasn't been that many years of my life that I may have been lonely, but, you know, I've not made the mistakes that a lot of other people have done, you know? And having this, you know, being able to tour around the world and have, you know, these four great records out and just this long history has to help, you know, keep your head up during, you know, your last, you know, decade or so with just getting sick. And, and Oh, sure. Especially, you know, since I really started trying to do it again yeah. and, and relearn where the industry now is versus what it used to be. Um, a lot of hard lessons. Um but that doesn't make me stop. And uh, as far as the last two tours to Europe are very difficult to budget, we saw them through. The one I did in 2015, we started the tour in Brussels the same exact night as the Paris attacks. Yeah. 
Oh, wow. So we're basically 150 kilometers, less than two hours away from Paris. And a lot of the people involved in the cells re-entered Europe through Brussels and also had like family history. Some of them grew up, you know, so it was a very difficult tour to be responsible for the people I had out with me. Right. You know, and and have that fear that we may need to protect ourselves because that whole week was crazy because there was a lot of like false threats coming oh, in. Oh, yeah, yeah, after. Even in Germany. Like, we'd be in a town in the middle of Germany and be like, somebody called in a bomb threat. Might, might be Al-Qaeda, you know? And I was saying to myself, <laughs> Al-Qaeda? Who's this guy Al, man? He, how, how, is he, how is he here when he's over here? You know? Yeah. It's gonna Fucking be Al-Qaeda, <laughs> man. If I ever meet that guy, you know? But uh, it it was pretty scary. I remember being at the French border and all of us being pulled out with a bomb sniffing dog, which was good because both me and the guitar player had a ton of weed sitting on the fucking chair. Right. I'm saying to myself, go, I'm going to jail tonight, you know, but, <laughs> right. you know, this fucking Great Dane is going to get my weed. But they were only interested in, you know, ammunition sniffing and bomb sniffing dogs. And, uh, but, you know, it was still a very scary situation to be in. I don't think we would have thought much of it if it wasn't for the fact that, you know, they went into the Bataclan in Paris, which we were booked to perform at the end of the tour, mind you. You know what I mean? And now, you know, it's fucking location of a crime scene a terrorist crime scene where like 30 people were shot if not more yeah you know and we did finish the tour ironically in a different venue that was literally a hundred feet from the memorial of the paris attacks and the cafe that they killed a bunch of people at too so basically the whole block was covered in flowers and tributes right you know, that had to be pretty um, heavy. Yeah, it was because, like I said, you know, I had grown men that can fend for themselves, right? But here I have them out on tour with me at a time of chaos, you know what I mean? And, and like I said, if we weren't booked to play the Battle Clan and, and it didn't happen in one of, you know, an alternative show venue that these guys just walked in and just started mowing people down. You know, it, it, it made it very real. You know, because as soon as we came off stage in Brussels the first night, you know, they said shit popped off. And then in 30, you know, and, and five minutes later, you know, they shot up the Bataclan. You know, it wasn't just the bombs going off at the football game. You know, they kill people in a cafe. The Bataclan was a fucking bloodbath, you know, and, and then it got real. The next day when we were in Germany, obviously we went to one of those like self-defense cop shops and we bought, you know, things that we could use, you know, thinking like, you know, if we needed to defend ourselves and some and try to do something, you know what I mean? I don't, I don't know if that was 
you know, just boastful thinking, but, but at the same time, you know, being New York street kids at the same time, be like, yo, that's what you're thinking. I'm hoping, you know, I have the sand to help defend myself or some of my people in a moment where we, you know, it looks like we're all going to die. Yeah. You know, only because we're over here and shit is popping off with these cells, well-armed cells, mind you. You know what I mean? What, what the hell else do you do? Yeah, that's pretty crazy that far into, uh, you know, your musical <laughs> career, having to, you know, go through something heavy like that. You know? Well, you know, again, we were there, but it wasn't us. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, And... There is this scare of it, like I said, because it happened to somebody else just, you know, a couple hours away. You know, what if we started our tour there? You know, there wouldn't have been as many people in the venue in Paris. You know what I mean? Maybe they'd look somewhere else. You know what I mean? It's all what if. It's it's all a very weird gamble, you know, being in the wrong place at the wrong time, you know, and it's it's definitely not deserved i'm just glad that you know the majority of my shows there the the drama may have spilled outside because of uh, a couple of nazis being at the show and the kids you know basically were kicking their ass and chasing them out (laughs) you know and things of that nature you know you look at even like uh, the murder of Dimebag Daryl by oh, yeah, a schizophrenic yeah. Pantera fan. Yeah, that was. You uh... look at that, and you see how a disturbed individual can just come out of nowhere. Yeah. And snuff a life out because of this like delusionment of blaming somebody for why a band broke up. Well, when I worked, when I was working the clubs in the '80s and early '90s, uh, you know, clubs like uh, Palladium, Tunnel, World, then uh, Milky Way, which was at Irving Plaza for a, a bunch of uh, events because it was like a, a moving club. You know, it would find locations and just establish a buzz. You know. Um, you know, they, she would pop off at the end of the night outside because this was dance hall hip hop scene. You know what I mean? Yeah. But they couldn't bring the guns into the venue. You never had really the gun thing at hardcore shows. It's more of a physical thing. You know, once sometimes I know people that got brained with like a brick were never the same. And eventually we fall out of the scene or someone that gets stabbed or cut. But, you know, um, there wasn't murder. No. Sadly, people around the fringes of the scene in New York became victims, but they didn't become victims at a venue. Right. At a show. Right. You know, we have uh, a serial killer, Joel Rifkin, from the 90s. He may have killed at least 
you know, a lot of the chicks that he was killing were on the fringes of the punk and hardcore scene. Sadly, Dave Insurgent, the singer of Reagan Youth, had a girlfriend. They were both addicted to dope. Um, and she turned tricks and became one of Joel Rifkin's victims. Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't and Dave also lost his mom not too long ago during that time. And he was so brokenhearted and in such despair that he died of an overdose. I don't know if it was a suicide or not. And Dave was a very sweet guy, you know, especially towards the end. You know, I got to know more than the, the persona that I saw doing these incredible sets and CBs with Reagan Youth. You know, this, this smart kid from NYU with these crazy dreads you know, fronting this band and bringing all this energy and seeing the crowd respond to them. You know, I wasn't close to him so much in the beginning and not that he was going to a lot of shows either, but he fell into the same mess that I did. And, you know, I could have been through that shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, but I never had a girlfriend that went out there and tricked for herself. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. No was, dancers. Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, but it could have happened. But yeah. it could have happened. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. No, was was dope prevalent in the in the hardcore scene? Is that is that in New York? Around when you were getting into it. At the time. Yeah. Uh, you know, you were downtown. A lot of clubs outside of CBs that people hung out at were on the Lower East Side. And at that time, every other block had a dope spot or people trying to move and establish a spot. And it was just out there. It was a very easy trap, you know, and uh, I got involved with it, you know, wanting to see what the big deal was all about. And, you know, it took a few years, you know, because I only did it once in a blue moon. And we're talking about like once a year, you know, that type of thing. But there came a point, you know, when I started going out there myself, you know, not being afraid to take that risk and everything else. And then it just sneaks up on you. Yeah, yeah. Like it did everyone else. Of course. And, and sadly, you know, I didn't learn from them. Right. And the people coming up after me didn't learn from me. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it, it, it was a crying shame. Nowadays, you know, you have nothing but fentanyl on the streets. Yeah, that's scary. Man. That scares the hell out of me. You know, that scares the living shit out of me. And most people are trying to get it in pill form. You know, but like you take a country like Mexico and the way we support cartels by buying the drugs that come over the border you know, they have fentanyl lace, like morphine tablets and things like that. So people, you know, think they're buying a, a, a drug on the down low in Mexico that's the same as what we have in this country, but it's not. It's, yeah. it's also mixed. It just looks that way. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? You could get a press set to make pills and make it look like a particular pill. Put it in a blister pack. You know what I mean? If, if you're organized crime and you're financed well, 
you know, you can get your fentanyl from China and make the batch and, and do this shit and not have a care in a war whether it kills somebody or not. That's fucked, man. And uh, go, going back to your the, the new uh, single you put out, the, the other song on that, I'm Your Pusher. Um, uh-huh. A, a, a pusher of hope instead of dope at this point. Like on, on... I'm trying to keep somebody out off the streets. So I, I'm trying to maintain, help them maintain their habit uh, without them going out there and becoming a victim. Like these stories I just said, because it is fucked up out there and especially more fucked up for a woman. You have empathy for a woman. You know, you want to try to help them get help and keep them from that element as best as you can. Yeah. It's, it, it's something that more people are going through nowadays. You know what I mean? It's not just a, you know, a couple and they're both addicts. Right, right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, you know, it's impossible for them to get clean together because one's not ready when the other one is and vice versa. And then that goes away. You stay in it. You know, it's it's a very vicious cycle. But there's a lot of people that are in relationships now that, you know, are going through that and, and you know, are in that position where it's like, look, I'll help you stay balanced. But I don't want you out there. You know what I mean? And it's got to so be now frustrating. You, well, now you're in the mix yourself. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now you're putting yourself in the risk out there. And if you get busted, you'll be documented as an addict. So, you know, it just came to me. A lot of the songs that I do, I try not to overthink the melody. I let it come through feeling. And then, you know, from there, the lyrics just fall over. I, I've been pretty lucky with that with a lot of my strongest songs. It may take a while to hit it, but I've, I've been able to have a pretty decent batting average. I think so, man. You know, yeah. and, and I'm trying very hard to uh, keep that level in spite of where I am right now. Yeah. Well, you know I, what I mean? I, I got to say, I think you're doing a good job, man. It's a healthy challenge, too. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's got to be uh, good for, you know, giving yourself hope, too. Just, you know, having this, you know, art to work on and uh, like an, an outlet that a lot of people don't have or, you know, don't know how to utilize. So Yeah, and, you know, you. I, I leave something behind. Yeah. Because, obviously... It'll last longer than I will. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, of course. And uh, since I am blessed with a history and I do have a following of fans that is pretty strong, even though a lot of them don't go to shows anymore. So they rely on the music and a video and the podcasts and everything else because they don't really do the show thing anymore. But they still appreciate you and what you're doing and still listen to the music and uh i i use these mediums to show my appreciation for all of that i'm not i'm not you know the person who felt jaded or bitter because of setbacks and everything else you know i have to take responsibility for for it too i can't just sit there and blame everybody 
you know what I mean? Um, we never really had a good label to support us and get us to a level of respect that I think the band deserved. And, you know, a lot of it just simply had to do with the musicianship. And all of us as a whole should have been in a better position than we were given. But you have to let go of that stuff because life goes on. And uh, you just got to keep doing something that you enjoy and love. Yeah. And you have this legacy with, you know, on this level with, you know, it's not Metallica level, but it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's something, yeah, it's, it's something. And, and they're beautiful people. Yeah. The, uh, the touring makes it worthwhile because I do get to talk to, you know, some or a lot, depending. Um, and it doesn't matter what, with the generation gap, we have a common ground, you know, they don't look at me as their grandfather or their dad. You know what I mean? Which is which is crazy, but it it's beautiful to have if you have it. You know, and um, you know that's why a lot of people don't want to let it go. You know, it's it because it is a big part of their lives, and and you know, uh, for I think mainstream, they don't have what we have. Yeah, it's like our you know what I mean secret, because they'll know? do the big venue and they'll meet fans. Right, but on a paid meet and greet oh, right yeah some stupid thing you know like what i that. mean they're not walking around saying hello to people or or going into the crowd if you're an opening band and you know you do your set and if you you know get yourself together you go out into the crowd maybe go to the bar or the merch table and you talk to people and they thank you you know or, or whatever they want to talk about something else you know Sometimes you know they're not even there to talk about the music. They, yeah. they bring up an old beef or something. Right, right. But yeah. you know whatever it is, interact. You, you make yourself available. Yeah, yeah. And you show your appreciation. I I learned from Bad Brains that they were the Beatles of hardcore. Let's let's you know what I mean. That's ground zero for for. But hardcore. but they didn't act like rock stars. No. You know what I mean? Like uh, they were acceptable to their fan base. Are they older guys now, and do they spend more time backstage? Yes, but you come show early enough, you could bullshit and hang with them. Yeah, I think I heard Doctor No's uh, birthday is today. Is it? Yeah. Oh, happy birthday, yeah. Mister Gary Miller. <laughs> yeah. I love you. Yeah. You know, um, I haven't seen most of those guys in the past uh, decade or so. Anyway, you know, being in your own life after so much. I don't go to that many shows. Um, and, and you know, it is what it is. But, you know, everybody's still a part of it. The music's still there. You know, we're all on Instagram. It, you know, social media gives us... It helps, yeah. ...the to... gift to be closer to people. And, you know, they get to comment and everything else. I'm very blessed. I mean, you know, my fan base helped support me through this, through GoFundMe. And, you know, what can I say? What can I say? It's, it's, it's a very, very humbling experience to have, you know, in modern day terms, such friends, not so much followers, but, you know, friends that are willing 
to pitch in and help you get through uh, a very life-changing experience. And, and, you know, a lot of them, of course, know me just through the music or something, but they feel like they know me and, you know, that they worry about you. And uh, I just want them to know that I'm not done. Uh, and, and I still intend to do things and, you know, control the environment like I did before. I just don't know when it's going to be uh, ready to, to, to go live again. You know, that's, that's something I would really like to do, but I, I'm figuring I'm still a good six months away from that. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, you know, it's like, it's something I'm hoping for, you know, I want to be able to do one more run before I may not be able to do it ever again. You know, so uh, those things you got to take seriously. That's why singles are important and and just simply moving forward. Well, hey, man, I, I appreciate you, you know, taking the time and talking to me, man. This was uh, this was really cool to, to talk to you. And you know, I'm, same I'm, here. Yeah. You know, I, I enjoyed the time. I Like I said, you know, um, I'm always very receptive to do interviews and podcasts it's not like i'm getting the call every week you know but uh you know i appreciate your time and i i thank you for having me tonight yeah not a problem man and i will uh i'll let you know when it goes up perfect awesome hey have a good night you too christian uh keep me posted I and will. i'll talk to you soon awesome thanks eddie all right have a good night bye you too.